In the 1980s, uh, Lee Iacocca is a well-known automobile executive, and he chaired this fundraising effort to refurbish the Statue of Liberty. And in a Newsweek article I read, he told about some of the unusual gifts and givers. So listen to this. One woman in her 80s sent a letter and a check for $10,000, and she added a PS asking for a free copy of Lee Iacocca's book because there was a two-month wait at the library. And Iacocca said, now there's a woman after my own heart. She'll give 10 grand to the statue, but she won't buy a 9.95 book. <laughs> I like it. Talk about having your priorities straight. Another woman, um, 87 years old, sent $1,000, and Lee's team sent her a nice thank you note. And she must have appreciated the note because she sent another check for $50,000. So after that, Iacocca uh, called her to say thanks and invited her to come to Liberty Island with him. Uh, but she said, I'm sorry, I have to clean my house <laughs> and declined the invitation. So on two other occasions, when he was in New York, Iacocca called her, but she always said, I'm too busy. <laughs> I'm too busy. And the last time she refused his offer, she said, but I'm going to send you another little envelope. And when it came, there were three checks in it, one for $25,000, one for $50,000, and one for $75,000. All he did was try to say thanks for $1,000, and he ended up with $201,000. He, he says, and I love this quote, he says, um, there's no telling where we'd be if I would have sent her flowers. <laughs> but perhaps the most touching gift came from 78 homeless Vietnamese refugees living in a camp in Thailand. They passed the hat, and they came up with $114.19. These were people who had lost everything but hope. And they were willing to give what they had for the symbol of liberty. And that gift was probably the gift that I want to, that is most like the gift I want to talk about this morning. And in scripture, we find this incredible account of an anonymous widow, we never know her name, who Jesus commends and Jesus recognizes. So I want to read it to you in Mark 12, 41 through 44. Jesus sat down opposite the place where the offerings were put, and he watched the crowd putting their money into the temple treasury. Many rich people threw in large amounts, but a poor widow came and put in two very small copper coins worth only a few cents. And calling his disciples to him, Jesus said, truly I tell you, this poor widow has put more into the treasury than all the others. They all gave out of their wealth, but she out of her poverty put in everything, all that she had to live on. Now, we can find some real treasure in these few verses in Mark 12. Yeah, I'm gonna pause here for you to laugh at my wordplay. Thank you. Okay, so in verse 41, this is what we're gonna look at today. It describes the scene that's happening in the temple treasury. Now, there are some really interesting geographic things about the temple that are helpful to us in understanding this passage. In fact, where things happen in the Bible really matter. I wanna encourage you, as you're reading the scripture, look at the setting and then ask the Lord, why is this happening right here? Because God is very uh, specific in his details. He's very specific in why he does the things he does. And so I wanna tell you about the temple the outermost court in the temple was called the court of Gentiles because it could be entered by all the people, 
okay? So it was frequented often by the city's poor and sick asking for help. They would come. It would be like coming and hanging out on the church stairs, hoping that someone that came out would, would feel like they could help you. And so it was the court of Gentiles. That's where anyone could come, and, and many people did come. Now, there was another court in the easternmost side of the temple that was called the court of women. And you entered into this court by a gate called Beautiful. And the gate was made of Corinthian brass with rich ornaments. It was very intricate. And the doors of the gate were so massive, theologians say, it took the strength of 20 men to open and close the doors. In fact, here's a picture uh, as it stands today in Israel. And imagine the gate, the door, full of ornate brass. And it was so beautiful. That's why they called it that. So this court was where Jewish Israelite women were welcome. They could bring sacrifices. They could come. They could pray. They could worship God. But this is so interesting this was not just a court for women exclusively. Jewish men could come and congregate here. In fact, we see several times in Scripture moments of Jesus' ministry that actually happen in the court of women. Uh, if you remember in John 2, you may remember the story where Jesus drives out the money changers in the temple. Anyone remember that story? He comes in, he flips over the table, he has his whip, and he walks around and he says, get out of here, don't do business in my father's house. That happened in the court of women. That story in John 8, you might remember this, um, some Pharisees, they dragged in a lady off the street who was caught in adultery. And if you remember the exchange between Jesus and the woman, Jesus bends down and he writes something in the ground. We never know what it is. And he says to the crowd, let any one of you without sin cast the first stone. Do you remember that story? That happened in the court of women. Okay, so Things that are happening in this particular court, it's very, very common. Jesus is teaching. Both of these events happened and others in the court of women. And so then there was this third court, and that was the court of Israel, which was only open to Jewish men. Women had no access. And so the court of women was the only place in the temple where all the Israelites could gather together. And this is where the temple treasury was. Okay, I find this so fascinating because Jesus, he could have taught anywhere in the temple, okay? He's a Jewish man. He could have gone into the court of Israel at any time, but Jesus did not isolate himself or his teaching to just the men. He did not isolate his teaching to just the elite or to just the powerful. He taught where both men and women rich and poor, could hear and understand. And he made a huge statement by this action. He stood in the place where he could reach the most people, and he taught them. And he never went into a place where only a few could hear. And now the treasury, it could have been staged in any area God commanded. But God is communicating something through the placement of the treasury. The fact that the treasury is in the court of women where all the people could go and hear Jesus teach, Jesus did not disqualify anyone from the calling and the mandate to live a generous life. And I believe that the treasury was there so that we could understand that. And this is still true for us today. Now in the treasury, if you can imagine, in this court of women, there were 13 trumpet-shaped receptacles that were placed all around 
to receive offerings of the faithful. And they were each labeled, so there were different reasons why you put money in different buckets. And, and this one here, I, I, got, um, I didn't get straight from the temple treasury, but I did get it from our prop room. And so this isn't exactly the shape, but they did describe them as a trumpet shape, or it would be kind of wide at the top and thin and then wide on the bottom, and they were made of brass. And there was no paper money at the time, so everyone had coins. So that's just something to kind of keep in mind. Now, I want to know this question. I've recently been traveling a little bit um, for, for conference and then uh, with my family. And have ever, any of you ever been, um, you've been in an airport waiting for a flight maybe, or you've been like in a mall or something and you've just sat and people watched? Anybody people watching? Just admit it right now. Are there some people watching? Some of you are watching the people in the pews in front of you, so just watch out. <laughs> All right, people watching. My husband and I love to people watch. Sometimes we even make up stories of what's actually happening. Um, I saw a mom really get mad at her child in an airport, and then she was embarrassed, you know, how <laughs> that happens. And so I just looked at her with the smiley eyes, like, I know what it's like. <laughs> but people watching, you can know a lot about people when you don't think they're being watched. Well, this is what Jesus is doing in Mark 12. Okay, imagine, he's people watching. He is watching the crowd. In fact, they probably aren't even noticing that he is there. And, and, and what he's saying is some of the scribes and some of the Pharisees, they're, they're sort of strutting around like, like peacocks trying to attain attention. Maybe, maybe they have their, their bag of coins and they're going, oh, this is so heavy because I have so much so much to bring, you know, can't, can't get it. I'm so, I'm so rich. And they were taking their bags of coins and maybe they were shaking them on the way to the treasury. I've got so much to give to the Lord. And they're putting them in loudly and confidently. And the scripture says that, that the coins would have made a pretty loud noise. And that's what Jesus would have seen. That's what he would have heard, is that people were giving. And when the gospel, the writer Luke, he tells this same story in his portion of scripture, he adds that people who were pouring the coins in this way were giving out of their surplus. They were giving out of the extra that they had. Now, it's interesting because Jesus doesn't comment on whether or not he is impressed by the large sums of money being tossed into their receptacles. He is not condemning of these gifts. It is not wrong to have wealth. That is not the problem. And the fact that they are giving a lot is what was needed to the temple treasury. But what's interesting is he doesn't even comment about that. He zeroes in and he focuses on one poor widow. And this widow is also presenting her offering to the temple treasury. And Mark 12 says the offering was two small copper coins. It equivalented to one cent. And the woman didn't know that Jesus was watching her. And I would imagine as she came in very differently than the, the, scribe, the, the Pharisees and the scribes, is she probably came up to the, the receptacle and, and dug kind of shyly into her pocket and that plink, plink was probably very faint. You would not have heard it across the room like the ones that brought in their bags. You would have to strain to hear 
the two coins into the offering. What, what a contrast. But what we see here when Jesus points this widow out to the disciples is that God sees what man overlooks. God sees what man overlooks. And the big gifts in the temple were certainly noticed by people. They were heard by the people. That's probably what the disciples were watching. But Jesus saw what no one else did. He saw the humble gift of a poor widow. And this was the gift that Jesus thought worthy of comment. I love that. He's debriefing with his disciples and he says, listen, this is what I want you to understand. The other gifts of the treasury that day, they made a lot of noise as they jingled into their receptacles. But the widow's coins, that was a noise heard in heaven. The widow's coins, that was a noise heard in heaven. Because God sees what man overlooks. He sees every gift and every giver. And the same is true today when we give to the Lord. He is paying attention. He doesn't miss a thing. And you may feel uh, overlooked and undervalued. You may wonder what you can contribute to God's kingdom. And you may not feel like it's much, but God sees what man overlooks. A generous life is paramount in God's eyes. It's paramount in God's eyes. And that's what he's communicating here to the disciples. That day, there were many people who came to give their offering, but Jesus singles out this widow as an outstanding example. She was the gold medal giver in the New Testament, a woman who contributed one cent. Her sacrificial giving pleased the Lord and is now used as an example for us. Of all the gifts that were given that day, she is the one who made it to the scripture. She is the one that we're still thinking and reading about. And I believe that this shows us something This shows us that there has to be more to living a generous life than having a lot of money to give away. There has to be more to it because God is highlighting us. When God asks us to give, to tithe 10% or to give offerings, it's because he knows a generous life allows us to live in freedom, allows us to live in joy, brings us closer to him. There there are all these byproducts of living a generous life that is so much more than about the amount of money that you're giving. The passage about the poor widow teaches us very clearly that God looks at offerings very differently than man does. And I want to talk today just briefly about two really distinct ways that I believe God looks at our offerings uh, that we can see from this scripture. So the first way is this. Jesus notices the cost of the gift to the giver. Jesus notices the cost of the gift to the giver. In Mark 12, Jesus explains the widow gave all she had. How many of you were ever like, how did he know that? I mean, she could have had another pocket full of, full of coins. Well, God's omniscient, okay? Jesus knew that that was all that she had. That same gift coming from another person would not have even cost them anything. They wouldn't have had to adjust their lifestyle. They wouldn't have had to give anything up. It was just pocket change. But this widow may have even gone hungry that night because of what she gave. Her gift was incredibly costly to her. And I fear that often we mostly give God our leftovers. If we have anything left after we spend the rest, we might drop something in the offering. Or if we happen to to remember on the Friday of payday, we might get online and make a sporadic offering. Or or maybe we look at our school debt and our our mortgage and and our our, our, uh, 
car debt and all these things, and we do the math on our iPhone X, and we say, oh, there's no extra. There's no extra this month, and so I can't, I can't give anything to God. And, and the gifts we give that cost us something are the ones that Jesus finds so valuable. The holy habit of putting God first in our finances before all of our needs and especially before all of our wants. That is the gift that Jesus finds so valuable. There's this beautiful passage of scripture in 2 Samuel that tells about a moment in David's life. It's a snippet. And God says to David, uh, build me an altar. And so David goes and he tries to find a place to build an altar and he finds this threshing floor uh, and he asks the owner, he says, listen, God told me to build an altar. Um, Can I buy this space from you? Can I buy this threshing floor from you? And the owner, when the owner realizes what David wants to do, the owner says, no, no, just have it. You can just have it for the Lord. You can just build it. Go ahead. Just use it for what you want. And David replies in 2 Samuel 24, 24, David replied to Arana, no, I insist on buying it, for I will not present burnt offerings to the Lord my God that have cost me nothing. So David put, paid him 50 pieces of silver for the threshing floor and the oxen. David knew that what he was going to give had to cost him something. Jesus notices the cost of the gift to the giver. Jesus notices the cost. Uh, Paul Harvey told a story that I appreciated about a woman who um, called the Butterball Turkey Company, and she asked whether uh, the, she could cook a turkey that had been in her freezer for 23 years. <laughs> and um, the customer service representative explained, um, well, it might be okay if the freezer had maintained a below zero temperature the entire time, um, but the flavor probably d- deteriorated so much that it wouldn't be very tasty. And the woman said, oh, that's what we thought. We'll just donate it to the church. (laughs) The second way that God looks at our offerings, I don't have to comment about that story. I'm just going to keep moving. I'm going to keep moving. The second way that God looks at the offerings is this. Jesus notices when our giving is an act of worship. So Jesus is omniscient. He knew the motives of every heart that was putting the coins in the treasury that day. And and truly what the scripture says is motive means everything when it comes to giving. Motive means everything. That's why scripture says that God loves a cheerful giver. Because a person who gives out of gratitude, a person who gives out of love for him, is so different than someone who gives out of pressure or guilt. In fact, I would 100% say that the scripture says we should never give out of pressure. You should never, ever give out of guilt. That is not giving. The widow didn't feel pressured to come and give her coins that day. She was honored to give to the Lord what she had. And that is what made her gift so beautiful. You see, generosity is a response to God's grace. Generosity is a response to God's grace. Jesus Christ pours out his love for us. He makes a way for our selfish, human, sinful hearts to be forgiven. He died on a cross for us. He, he bore all our sin and our shame. And by the blood of Jesus, we're redeemed and we are saved from the eternal judgment that we all deserve. And so, in fact, if you're, if you're here today and you have never asked Jesus to c- come into your heart and, and live and forgive you of your sin, I want to just stop right here and tell you, I want to implore you to do that. Because here's, here's the truth. No one is guaranteed tomorrow. No one is guaranteed tomorrow. And asking Jesus to be the Lord of your life 
is the most important decision you will ever make. It seals your eternity in heaven and with Jesus. And there's an urgency about it. There's an urgency in this decision. And if today you want to pray with someone about that, at the end of service you saw where we have the prayer teams, they'll be back. And you can just talk with them and pray with them. But Jesus, he's so generous to us. He's so giving to us that he even gave his own life for us. And so our giving is a response to that grace. Our giving is not out of, out of obligation. Our not giving is, is not us trying to buy prayer replies from God or, or to, to, to be the most important person in the church. Or Our giving is not come out of that. Our giving comes out of this response to God's grace. Randy Alcorn said it this way. I loved it. God's grace is the lightning and our giving is the thunder. Just like thunder follows lightning, giving follows grace. It is possible to give without a deep understanding of God's grace, but it is impossible to have a deep understanding of grace and not give. How many of you here today would say that you are thankful for God's grace in your life? That you're here today, this very morning, because of God's grace in your life. That, that you were saved from the pit. That God delivered you from a bad circumstances. That God has loved you through all of your ups and your downs. That God has moved mountains for you. That God has done miracles for you. Generosity is a response to God's grace. It's a way for us to say thank you. And our heart is motivated by God's grace. And so we give. Giving is an act of worship. When you come to church, you, you worship by singing songs, you worship by praying, you, you worship by applying God's word, and you worship when you give. It is an act of worship. And so I want to challenge you today to worship through giving. Perhaps today is the first day for you to start this holy habit. Remember, even if you have only two copper coins that equal one cent, God sees what man overlooks. God sees what man overlooks. Jesus will notice the cost of the gift. Jesus will know your motive. And we need to make it an act of worship. You know, so often when we choose to hold on to our resources, we lose more than we think we gain. We have this idea that, that we need it all, and if we give it away, we won't have enough. But you know what? When we choose to hold on to our resources, we lose more than we think we gain. And a weak perspective on generosity dams up the river of God's grace in our lives. I believe that when we are generous, we are more aware of God's grace in our lives. And so this is what we're going to do. We're going to have the ushers come as a response to God's word today. They're gonna pass the offering bag. Now here's what I want you to know. Do not give out of pressure. If you're here for the first time today, we don't, we don't want you to give anything at all because we're not giving today out of pressure. I hope you heard me say that. But listen, as a congregation, I do not want us to take this mandate to live a generous life not seriously. Jesus told us in the scripture to do it. Imagine if you came into the court of women that day and Jesus was people watching and you left with pockets filled and not giving anything at all. If you're like a little irritated or bristly right now, I'm just the messenger, okay? <laughs> I just come up here and I say what God tells me to and I will never apologize for that. 
But that feeling that you have is probably the Holy Spirit, or it might be your human self wanting to protect what you view as yours. And I wanna ask you as your pastor to work through those feelings this week. I want you to leave here and say, that did not sit very well, and I need you to help me understand why. And maybe you need to talk to a friend, or maybe you need to talk to a pastor. But here's the deal. God mandates, he asks us to live a generous life, not because God wants our money, but because God wants our heart. And if we give God our heart, our response to him will be generosity. Our response will be giving. I love you guys. It's my privilege to be your pastor. And I'm thankful that you can hear the word of God today through a lens that might be a little challenging. So I'm gonna pray for this offering. We're gonna sing this song. And I want you to, after the offering comes by, if you'd stand, and by the end we'll all be standing and we'll sing this together. Father God, I come before you. God, some of us have a lot and some of us have a little. But God, I pray that all of us would give you what we have. God, because with you, you make all things new. God, we can never outgive you. Lord, you will take care of our needs. You did it for the widow and you will do it for us. God, you will even give us what we want. God, you will even lavish of the desires of our heart. But God, we want so badly to have an act of worship to be givers, Father God. We want to respond to the grace that you have poured out to us. Lord, help us give even when it feels costly because we are so indebted to your great grace. Lord, this morning as we sing this song, you can have it all. God, we mean that about our resources. We mean that about our lives, God. We mean that about our emotions, our thoughts, our hearts. Lord God, you have called us to a, to a standard that is, that is, that is uh, high, God. It is high. It is the standard of heaven. And God, we, we will come to you, Lord God, and we will ask forgiveness for where we fall short. And we will work so hard, Father God, to honor you. But Lord, we know that your grace comes and fills in the rest. We don't have to work to earn your love, God, that we will just receive it in your name. Lord, thank you for your, the generosity of the grace you've bestowed on us. And God, it's in your strong and perfect and generous name I pray. Amen.
praise you in this place. We thank you for who you are and for your instruction over our lives. Just like we learned last week, we don't want to run from that. So we embrace it today. We say you can have it all. Amen. Amen. You have a blessed week, church. We are so grateful that you came. We're praying for you, and we're here for you if you need anything.